we're going to talk today about a big piece for us as Christians, and that's that we travel light. You can't walk in faith if you're carrying a bunch of stuff. So you have to learn how to cast your cares on the Lord. So we want to do a little review, and then I want to get into this. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, it's kind of a foundational scripture. Paul said this, talking to a young pastor, he said, fight the good fight of faith and lay hold of eternal life. Now, this is real interesting because, you know, obviously he's not talking about just getting saved because Timothy's already saved. But you fight the good fight of faith so that you can take hold of eternal life. See, Jesus came to give us life, zoe, eternal life, and that more abundantly, but you're going to have to fight the fight of faith to lay hold of it. Not to be saved and go to heaven, but there's going to be a battle, something coming against you to keep you from laying hold of it. Does that make sense? So this is why in Isaiah, I want to read these two scriptures out of Isaiah because it lays a foundation. We've went into this before. But in Isaiah 41.10, it says this, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. God says this all through the Bible. You don't have to fear because I'm with you. Right? You could walk through the worst neighborhood alone, and man, you might have an opportunity to fear. But walk through the worst neighborhood with three Navy SEALs that are fully armed walking beside you, and you're like, whatever, right? You'll feel totally at home. Well, here's the thing. Wherever you go, God's there. The, angels of, the angel of the Lord encamps around about those that fear him. It says, be not dismayed, dismayed, broken down and confused. Don't be broken down and confused, for I'm your God. I'm your God. It's, you don't have to be confused about anything. There is no shadow of turning with me. It's very clear who I am in your life. I am your everything. If you're facing sickness, I'm your healer, and I'm with you, and, and my answer is yes. If you're facing poverty and lack, I am your provider. I mean, all of these things. For I am thy God. I will strengthen you. Yea, I will help you. Yea, I will uphold you with the right hand, that's the manifest power of God, of my righteousness. So we see we're going to have to fight to hold on to trusting God. Do we fight Satan? Really, the fight is to, is to control our thought life. We're going to see some principles here that will help us. There's a lot of things in this world that are going to try to shake you to get your eyes off of Jesus. Satan just wants to separate you from your faith because if he does that, then he has you, right? He doesn't really care about you. He just wants, he wants to show the world that God is not who he is. In Isaiah 26, verse 3, this is a big one. It gives us a picture on trusting the Lord. On, on, in Isaiah 26, verse 3, it says this, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, 
whose mind is stayed on thee. He keeps us. If, you, if your mind is focused on God, God can now keep you in perfect peace. Why? Because when your mind is stayed on God, it says it right here, because he trusts in thee. See, I keep my mind stayed on him. So all this chaos could be going on in my life, but I trust him. So I'm, I, I can't get, you can't knock me off and get focused only on my circumstances because all of my trust is in him. And so I walk in complete peace in the midst of a storm. It says in verse 4, Trust ye in the Lord forever. Why? For the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. And in the Hebrew language, this word means strength, but it also means refuge. Your place of refuge in God is a place of strength to where nothing moves you. So in other words, from this verse of Scripture, I would encourage you to write this next to this verse. The Bible identifies trusting God means this, keeping your mind on Him. That is the fight, to keep your mind on God. And now we said this last week or the last few weeks, your trust in God, you'll know if you're trusting Him. It's expressed in rest. We're not talking about resting from activity. We're talking about resting in the battle, in our life. You'll know if you're trusting God if you're at rest. And what that means is you've ceased from your own works. You stop trying to figure out how to make this thing work. You've literally come to a place where you're fully persuaded that what God said about this situation is true and what he said he would do, he is going to perform it. So there's nothing left for me to do but worship him. This place of rest, as we said before, it's the highest, highest level of faith that you'll ever walk in. It's where you're completely dependent upon God. You're fully persuaded that what he said he will, he will bring to pass. And that peace now, it strengthens you. You've ceased from your own works. What are we resting in? I'm resting in the finished work of Christ. He's already provided healing for me. He's already provided provision for me. He's already provided soundness of mind for me. He's already provided everything for me. So... I can also judge how I'm believing by if I'm resting. See, rest shows a lot of things. You'll know if you're believing the word if you're at rest. But if you're freaked out and you're trying to figure stuff out, get, get, get this, you're not in faith. And it's okay. All you got to do is get your mind back on him Start meditating in scripture and now all of a sudden you'll take wrong thoughts captive and you'll start thinking right. Right? You'll make sure the Holy Spirit will get you in a place where you're hearing right. And so now 
your beliefs will start to be right. And now you'll know that because you'll be at rest. Right? Does that make sense? So this is the place you're fully persuaded. But you'll never rest in anything. You'll never rest in anything or anyone that you don't have confidence in. And, and if you'll notice, God, the word of God is over and over and over. You can trust me. You can, you can, you can lean on me. You'll never be able, as we said before again, to receive the finished work of Christ if you're, if you're in worry, if you're fretting, if you're not trusting. So this is why Christianity, it's all about a relationship. So we said in Hebrews 4, let me read a couple of these verses again. It says, let us labor. Hebrews 4.11 says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. We have to labor to enter into that rest. It's kind of like the fight of faith. And if we don't labor to enter into rest, if we don't labor to enter into a place where I'm, I've stopped from my own works and I'm simply trusting what God said, I'm like Abraham. Although I could see my circumstances, because I have more respect for what God said, I don't get out of faith. It doesn't move me at all because I'm fully persuaded that what God said He's able to perform. I'm fully persuaded, New Testament believer, I am fully persuaded that what God said is mine already. And I lay hold of it, and I, I don't have to feel it, I don't have to see it, I trust him so much, the fact that he said it is all I need. And you hide and watch, because that will be in this realm. It will be in this realm, because God never fails. But if we don't labor to enter into this rest, it says, lest any man fall, after the same example as the children of Israel. It's an example of unbelief that is an unpersuadableness. It's a rebellious disobedience. See, if you and I look at what we're facing and get our eyes off the Lord, we will become unpersuadable. We'll, we'll walk in a rebellious disobedience. God, I know you said this, but there's no way because I just don't see any way. We don't want to fall, so we have to labor to enter into that rest. This is why if you're around here, I'd love to tell you that you could give God three minutes of your day and live your life and walk in the blessing, but you're probably not gonna. Because this is a relationship. The word of God is not ink on a page, it's a person, right? And we walk with him, and he's gotta be first. Because we're created to be connected with him first. Our flesh is what wants to walk on our own. And when we walk on our own, we can't walk in the blessing. We become unpersuadable. We become rebellious. We become disobedient. We start to think we're all that, when in our heart we know we're not all that. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19, it says, So we see they could not enter in. They couldn't enter into their inheritance because of unbelief. This unpersuadableness, this rebellious disobedience that causes a person to withdraw from God. We don't want that. So I can judge what I'm believing by the rest that I'm walking in. See, the walk of faith is so clear. It's not confusing. If you're asking yourself, should I take medicine, should I not? Should I go to the doctor, should I not? Should I have a surgical procedure, should I not? Should I borrow money or, or you know, should I confess five times a day or three times a day? Relax. 
The Holy Spirit is the one. He's the guide. He tells you what to do. So what you do, you, you put your mind on God. You fill your heart with his word and you just walk around speaking his word and it'll happen automatically. He'll tell you what to say, what to do, when to withdraw away to get in the word, when to confess the word, whether to take medicine or not. Because see, if you're taking medicine, you, you got to take it in faith. And it has nothing to do, listen, if you have a surgical procedure, you know, we have people in our church that don't want to tell, oh gosh, I don't want to tell pastor I'm having surgery because he'll think I don't have any faith. What does that have to do with anything? No, if you're having surgery, you better be in faith. Yeah, and you're still going to need to be healed. Man, they'll cut you open, take stuff out, put stuff in, can reconnect stuff, but you still got to be healed. Good thing I don't teach in medical school, huh? Man, that'd be scary. Believing God, believing God, which is what I'm created to do, I'm a believer, it literally causes me to step into his rest. It happens automatically. As I believe the word, I stop trying to figure it out. I, I just think it must be hilarious to Satan, or it, it must be horrible to be Satan when a believer who's going through incredible things is still full of joy and still speaking life and thanking God in the midst, right? That's the way we live because we know the outcome. We're more than conquerors. God already fought the battle. Jesus fought the battle. He bore my sickness so now I could walk in health. He was made poor so now I could be made rich. He became sin so I would be made the righteousness of God. It's all done. Meditating in God's word drives out unbelief. You have to meditate in the word of God. Uh, many religions of the world have meditation, but only Christians meditate out of their spirit. Go to, go to New Age, the New Age movement, they'll go and they'll sit and they'll say within their mind over and over what they call a mantra. They don't even realize it. They think they're the only one in the world that has that mantra. And all it is is probably the name of some Hindu god. And it doesn't produce life. But a Christian can take the word of God, which, which is life, and start the meditating. We roll that around in our spirit. We mix it in our spirit with our mouth. Father, I thank you. You always cause me to triumph. Now it looks really bad on the outside. I thank you, Father, that you always keep me from falling, that you make a way where there's no way, that you shut doors that no man can open. Pretty soon, you're just like, man, you always cause me to triumph. And pretty soon now, you're oblivious to what's going on around you because what is going on inside of you now eclipses what's going on around you. See, most believers, the only reason why they never get to experience this is because they get distracted with life. And, the, and, and the, this old nature in their flesh will pull, their, pull them off of it because they're only feeding their spirit. I mean, you know, I could, you could take somebody that's twice as strong as me and, and I could beat him in arm wrestling. 
But they have to fast for 40 days. No food for 40 days first. They'll have no strength. That's what happens to a believer. Because this is spiritual food. And if, and if you're not constantly... See, see, you know, the perfect diet physically, they say, is when you're never hungry and never full. The perfect diet spiritually is when your hunger level is out the ceiling because you're constantly feeding. Because your God is irresistible. So the more you eat, the more you want to eat. But here's the thing. It's not like eating food where you gain weight and get unhealthy. No, you gain spiritual muscle because you become fully persuaded. And all of a sudden, the, the, your natural eyes are not what's causing you to see. I'm, not, I'm no longer looking at things that I could see. I'm, I'm looking with the eyes of faith at the reality of life. Oh, outwardly, it looks like there's no way, and I laugh at it because it's like, oh, man, this is going to be cool because God's going to cause me to triumph. And Satan will go, how? Shut up with the how. How is not the deal. It doesn't matter. Do you care how you become rich? Do you care, do you care how God heals your liver? No. Right? Do you care how he heals your hip or your knee or your feet or your hands or your eyes? No, it doesn't matter how. He could either... With your eyes, either fix this or put a brand new one in it. You know, it's up to you. But it's what he's already promised us. I meditate in God's word until this picture of the reality and the truth of God's word eclipses what's going on on the outside. See, that's what happens. Then, when you see it on the inside... Now the peace of God rules in your heart and in your mind, and now you enter rest. That's the way it works. So this is why in Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 22, it says, let us draw near, let us draw near, Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold fast. That means let us seize hold of the profession of our faith. The profession of our faith. Now this word our is not in the original manuscript. If you wanted to read it literally, let us hold fast to the homologeo of faith. Homologeo, it, it, was, it was translated profession. You could translate it confession. It really means to confess the same thing that God says. So let us hold fast to saying about our situation what God says. The, that is the profession, not of just our faith. It's the profession of faith, right? Be careful with the term our faith. See that car? Man, I got that with my faith. Brother, you are an accident waiting to happen. Right? No, no, I, I don't live by my faith. I live by the faith of the Son of God who, gave, who loved me. Right? Man, it's a, he gave me a measure of his faith, and that measure can grow as I meditate in the Word of God, as I walk out God's plan for my life. Satan, you better hit me now with all you got because I'm going to be stronger by the end of this service. I'm going to be stronger this afternoon. I'm going to be stronger tomorrow. I walk in complete mastery in my life because I walk in Christ. There is nothing that I cannot do and I, because I'm a believer. Amen. See, that's the way we walk as Christians. 
Let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering. Why? Because I know that I know that I know he's faithful. He is faithful. So see, your trust, it's an expression of your commitment to God. You'll know where you are. Confidence in God will grow as you invest time in it. Unqualified trust and confidence in God, it's knowing that he's faithful. That he'll never let you down. If he said it, it's yours today. So rejoice in the middle of the storm because you already have the victory. Don't buy the lie of the God of this world system who maybe has circumstances and situations going on, who's been lying to you since you were a little boy or a little girl, so you might feel stupid or inadequate or not. No, 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 you're a child of God. Old things are passed away. Everything becomes new. And now whoever's born of God overcomes the world system. Right? What is the victory? It's our faith. So this is so, so very important. We gotta get this part. In verse 35 of Hebrews chapter 10, it says, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense, great repayment of reward. Your confidence, it leads you into this place of rest. See, our confidence, our strength is in resting in this unqualified confidence in God. I this is my strength. I'm completely at rest because I'm confident that I'm in him and that nothing can separate me from him. That he's in my life and because he's my shepherd, I shall not want. He is who he says he is, right? What he has done, what he has done for me has provided everything for me. So I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 26. Let's look really quick. Matthew chapter 26. I want to show you just, I want to read real quickly a story about Peter. We're going to look at, I think it's about verse 31. I didn't know if I was going to do this, but let's, let's do this. Yeah, Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. I want to show you an example that we all live in all the time, and we're going to look at Peter. We're going to look at his example. So in verse 31, then said Jesus unto them. Now, now this is the la- they're at the Last Supper, right? This is right before Jesus goes to the cross. Then said Jesus unto them, all of you guys are going to be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. So Jesus said, guys, all of you are going to be offended by me tonight. For it is written, and then he gives them a scripture. But look at the pride. Right? Because, I mean, these guys have been walking with Jesus for three and a half years. Look at the pride in Peter. I mean, every time Jesus said it is written, wow, things happened, right? But look, but after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of you, yet will I never be offended. They're at the Last Supper. It's kind of like being at Faith Family Church. You're in worship. And the worship team, man, we're entering. You're walking in total victory. 
You're like, man, I'll step on Satan's face. I'll, I'll laugh on him. You're in here. It's real easy, right? But guess what? The fight's usually never in here. The fight's when you're all alone. So let's look at this progression. Jesus said unto him, Verily, or most assuredly, I say to you, Peter, that this night before the cock crow, you shall deny me three times. Peter argues with him. Though I should die with you, yet will I not deny you. And likewise also said all the disciples. They're all going, yeah, Jesus, we will die with you. We'd never deny you. Right? Interesting statement, wouldn't you say? So let's, let's, we don't need to read the whole story. Let's go to about, let's, let's look here, about verse 69, I think is about where it's at. Yeah, so, so here, now, now after this, now look at this, verse 69, same chapter. Now Peter sat without in the palace. So now, from here, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, right? In the Garden of Gethsemane, this is where Jesus sweats blood, he's praying, he, go, he really sees the complete picture of him becoming sin, taking on the sin of the whole world, all this stuff, his disciples, instead of praying with him, are asleep. So now they come get him. We learn that Peter is still doing pretty good because he, you know, John's account of this says that he literally struck Malchus, who was with the Roman soldiers, and, and sliced off his ear. Now you think, wow, what is he, some ninja? No, he wasn't trying to slice his ear. The Roman's helmet came down. He was trying to split his head, but when the knife, when the sword hit his head, it went down the side and cut off his ear. Right, then Jesus, that whole interaction, Jesus heals the guy, and, and now, so now they take Jesus away, and now here's Peter. This is where Peter's at. And a damsel, a young girl, comes to him saying, you were with Jesus in Galilee, or Jesus of Galilee, but he denied. So see, this is what happens. Now you go home and you have mail from the creditors, and you have four messages, and now you're, you're laying in bed at night because you just got paid, and you have zero money, and now there's a deadline and Satan's talking to you. And he'll, he, he'll bring, bring situations. The first one, who do you think brought that little girl up? Do you think God did just to test Peter? Well, no. God doesn't do that. He doesn't manipulate. The enemy does that. So this little girl goes, hey, in front of all these people, you were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what you say. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. Do you see how in a very short period of time now, we're not sitting in a church service, we're not sitting in the, uh, at, at the Last Supper eating with Jesus. No, now I'm alone. And now, and what happens? Peter denies him again. Right? Let's keep going. He denied with an oath, I do not know this man. After a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, 
Surely you're one of them, for your speech gives you away. It betrays you. So now look at Peter. His speech betrayed him. So now Peter, one of the main inner circle three, in a matter of hours, and it says, and he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man. Swear. Well, that gets your attention, right? But that's what he was doing. Is that who Peter is? No. But he got his eyes off of things. So it says here, he cusses, you know, he's cussing all this stuff. I know not the man. Immediately this rooster crows. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. I, I want to focus on this, so go to Luke 22, just real quick, verse 60, because I want to I focus on this moment. Luke 22, verse 60. This is such an important story, guys, because you and I live here. Have you ever denied the Lord? Yes, maybe not. See, we think of denying the Lord as, well, he's not my Savior. No, 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 no. Do you deny that he's your healer? Do you deny... Do you deny that he's your everything? Do you deny that, that you're really not in him? See, saying that you can't have what he said he's given you is denying him. You don't have to do that. Hallelujah. So now look at this, verse 60. And Peter said, now this is the same story with Luke's account. And Peter said, man, I know not what you say. And immediately while he spoke, the cock crew. And the, now look at this part. And the Lord turned. So Jesus must have been fairly close. Turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crow, you'll deny me three times. And Peter went out and he wept bitterly. So now let's finish this up. Let's go to John chapter 21. Because this is not the end of the story. You have to know this. If you mess it up, it's not the end of the story. Okay, so go over here, John 21, I think it's about verse 4. Yes, it's verse 4. So look at this. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. So now, Jesus has appeared to them a few times after, the, after his resurrection and so now Jesus is standing on the shore after his resurrection. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, Children, have you any meat? And they answered no, because they didn't catch anything. And he said unto them, Cast, cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. Boy, would that bring back some memories for some of those guys, right? They cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, I wonder who that is, John, right? Said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. 
And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon and bread. Jesus already prepared a meal for them. We just look over these little things. Why is that written there? Because if you ever blow it, or if you're not blowing it, he prepares a table before you, always. The provision's always still there. He doesn't pull it away. It's not a matter of God withholding. It's just a matter of you not being positioned. So what Jesus is doing is he's helping his disciples get positioned. Now they had to obey. Man. And Jesus said unto, him, unto them, Bring the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty-three. Whenever the Bible tells something like that, there is a reason. You've heard me say this before, right? And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. 153 fishes. The Hebrew language is a numerical sequence. Every letter has a number. The only phrase that is made with the number 153 is this. I could hardly say it. I am Elohim. I am God. Even, even the amount of fish. He, what is he doing? He's giving them. He's saying, guys, trust me. Why? Because in order for them to walk out God's path for their life, they've got to trust him so that they can enter into rest. Because he's going to call them to do things way beyond their ability. That's all of us. Even that said that. Jesus said unto them, come and dine. None of the disciples asked him, who art thou? They did, none of them wanted to ask. Why? Knowing that it was the Lord. You can just see Peter. Okay, I always say stupid things. I'm not going to ask him for sure, right? <laughs> Jesus then comes, verse 13, and takes bread and gives them, and fish likewise. Now, this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. After that, he was risen from the dead. Wow. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Simon, do you love me more than all of these other guys here? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, you know that I love you. He said unto him, Feed my lambs. Could you imagine Jesus saying that to you? And then right after he says, Feed your lambs, he goes, He said to him again the second time, Simon, Son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, you know that I love thee. Then he said unto him, Then feed my sheep. He said unto him a third time. Now I wonder, Peter denied him how many times? How many times is Jesus asking him the question? I wonder if he's trying to get him past all that other junk where he denied him. I wonder if he's trying to get him to forget the past. Forgetting those things that are behind, I press forward. 
I wonder. I'm really not wondering. I'm being kind of facetious here, right? (laughs) It's absolutely the truth. He said unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him a third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Why? Obviously, Jesus is getting Peter in a position so that he can, once the Holy Ghost comes upon him on the day of Pentecost, he's going to be filled with the Spirit and now he can go out and fulfill the call of God for his life. But what else, what other message is there? The God of heaven knows that you love him only one way. Do you obey him? That's it. What does it mean to be a success in life? Are you doing what God's called you to do? Man, if Christians would put God first and just simply be willing and obedient, we'd have no trouble winning the world. We'd have no trouble with signs, wonders, and miracles. Because what's on the inside would start showing up on the outside. And God, see, God can move in greater measures in this environment. This is a huge story that I got, you guys got to see this. You got to see it. Because in this situation, this is us. Have you, have you ever, ever messed up? So now let's look at a book that Peter through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he penned this. Turn, I want you to turn here. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 in verse 6. This is the missing element that really tripped Peter up and it trips us up. Because if we're not at rest, we're trying to figure it out, which means we're carrying cares that we should not carry. Right? So in 1 Peter 5, 6, it says, humble yourself. Notice God. There's not one place in the Bible where God will humble you. You have to humble yourself. Now, Satan will try to make you look like a fool, but God will never humble you. You must humble yourself. This Greek word means to deliberately lower yourself in the estimation of others in order that you might obtain help or assistance. You have to... I have to lower myself to the point to where I'm like, Father, I'm humbling myself. I need your help. I'm not going to try to work this out in my own strength. Therefore, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. This word exalt means to lift above something. See, you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that he can exalt you above the circumstance. Isn't that good news? You don't ever have to exalt yourself above any circumstance. doesn't matter what you're facing today. God will lift you out of it. You don't have to. But you're going to have to humble yourself to do that. So how do you humble yourself? The biggest way to humble yourself is just to be a doer of the word. Again, it all gets back to the word. When you submit to God's word, it will always work for you. So verse 7, how do I humble myself? By casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. 
See, this word casting, it's a Greek technical word that literally, the way it's worded here, it can only be used one way. This word was used of an individual who's carrying something that's crushing him. It's a, it's a load that's too big for him, and now he, has, he rolls it onto a beast of burden so that that animal would carry it for him. Does that, does that make sense? The person would call for someone to bring a beast of burden, which at that time would be a camel, a donkey, a horse. He would roll the load over on the beast of burden. Notice the burden is not gone. It's still there. Have you ever rolled a care over on the Lord and it still feels like it's there? Well, it's there, but it's no longer crushing you because you've given it to him. So it says here, Casting all your care. This word care, we got to go into this word. It's the Greek word merimna. It literally means something that's stress. It's stress related. Something that includes fretting, worry, and anxiety that brings disruption to the personality of a person and their mind. Let me read that again. Something that brings disruption. This is what a care is. Whatever you're facing, if you don't roll it on the Lord, will disrupt your mind. It's not a little thing. It describes, this Greek word describes something that inwardly divides you. But it doesn't divide you. It doesn't divide you by just this really nice cut where the edges are smooth. Okay, so I'm either going to look really good or really bad here. But it, it's, it, it, it describes a tear, something that tears you. So that you have in your personality and in your emotion something that frays you. Have you ever had that? This is, I felt this before. When the weight of things are crashing down or, or a sickness or a disease could take you out or finances or whatever it is or this hopelessness of I'm never going to meet the person and I really want to be married or I'm never going to make enough money. I, I'm never going to have a good life. It's not a, a cut. The care, the circumstances designed to rip you emotionally. And God doesn't want this in your life. He never wants your emotions to be ripped and torn. So we get rid of that. That's under the blood. This is why we have to humble. What am I saying right now? This is the walk of faith, guys. This is how you get strong in faith. You humble yourself. You don't carry the care. Your body was not made to handle it. Your emotions were not made to handle it. Your mind can't handle that stuff. You were made to walk in intimate fellowship with God. Isn't that good news? Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Care is something that tears you up and frays your emotions. This word in the Greek is most often used, now this is interesting, to describe a threat that has not happened yet. There's a lot of people walking around with this stuff and they're afraid of something that hasn't even happened yet. 
lies, right? The word describes something that says to you, what if? What if you don't get healed? What if, I mean, you know, you know Christians that have died. What if you get laid off? What if you die and what's going to happen to your family? We need to get rid of all the what ifs because we're in his hand. The Amplified Version says, casting the whole of your care, all of your anxieties, all of your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him, for he cares for you affectionately and he cares about you watchfully. I love that. God is saying to you and I, let me be your beast of burden. Casting all your care on the Lord is basically saying this, I refuse, I will not worry anymore. Now worry, let's talk about this for a minute. Do you realize you and I, we have the ability to stir up worry? How do I do that? I reach down in my emotions and find something in there that tears me. A circumstance, something that I've been looking at and I shouldn't be looking at and talking about. I reach down in my emotions and find something that tears you. Worry affects your perspective. It affects your thought life. Worry affects your ability to communicate correctly. Correct communication is where you're saying what God says. Incorrect communication is now you're speaking out of your flesh. Right? Stress is worry, which is fear. You could put in your notes, stress equals worry, which equals fear. Your faith can't work if you refuse to stop feeling sorry for yourself. I, I mean, there's people in horrible situations, and my heart goes out to them. But I know as a pastor, if I can't get their eyes off that situation and on God, they're going to start thinking wrong. They'll start thinking, God, why are you allowing this in my life? And why are you doing this to me? Why are you not helping me? Why did you let this happen? And all of that stuff is lies. It didn't happen because he let it happen. Amen. Your faith, you've heard me say this. Your faith can't work if there's a wine in your voice. You got to get the wine out of your voice. God cannot carry or work on something if you're carrying it and working on it. So let it go. Go watch the Disney movie. Let it go. Let it go, right? <laughs> we got to let it go. We have to let it go. I almost started singing. That would have frightened all of you even though you don't have a spirit of fear, but it would just really come on us, right? You must get to the place where you say, so what? You must get to the place where you say, Satan, you don't know how much I don't care. Yeah, yeah but you can die, Tony. You don't know. See, you can't, you can't scare me with death because I already died. And man, that was the best choice I've ever made in my life. Verse 8, the Bible says, first it says to humble yourself by casting all your care. Now it says, verse 8, be sober. That means to think clear, not like a drunk. 
Being drunk affects the way that you see, the way that you hear, the way you feel, the way you think. Have you ever been driving late at night and you're going down Blondo or Maple and it's, you know, it's 11, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning and it's 45 miles an hour, which is probably just a negotiation jump-off point. I don't know. But you know, you know that you're going, and all of a sudden there's a guy going 30. <laughs> right? And you go by him because you know this guy is not thinking right. He's not seeing right. He, and you, when you go by him, you see him. Hand, both hands on the wheel. Because he thinks he's going 95. Why? Because he's drunk. That's what a Christian looks like. They're facing something that is so much smaller than God that God already provided victory for, and we're like this. Oh my gosh. No, don't, don't think, think sober. Don't think like a drunk. Be vigilant. This is the Greek word Gregorius. It means to be alert. Be ever on your guard. Why? Because somebody's coming to do you harm. This word is used. Be alert. Be ever on your guard because there's harm. Somebody's coming to harm you. So be alert. That's what this Greek word means. Being sober and being vigilant is a function of your will. We be sober. We be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, your adversary, your antideikos. This is a noun in the Greek. It's a proper name. It is one who violently opposes righteousness. One who is against acts of righteousness. One who, he, he literally hates righteousness. It's Satan. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. See, this verse is telling us what the effect is on a believer who chooses to carry his care by himself. This is, this is a, this, we're, see, this is not something you could live on the earth and duck out of. I'll just fly below the radar. No, there is no radar for this. You are in a fight. If you choose to carry your cares, this adversary who's seeking whom he may devour will devour you. He'll look and go, oh, there's one. Look, they're carrying their care. But he can't devour anyone who humbles himself under the mighty hand of God by rolling the care over on his beast of burden. Now he's at rest, he's in faith, and now he's positioned in the authority to where he just binds Satan, and all of a sudden when Satan runs up on him, he sees God and he runs. This, this is so important in the walk of faith. When the enemy lies to your mind, this is the way it is, it starts with a suggestion. It starts with a suggestion. And if you allow that suggestion, it will grow into a whisper. And if you allow that whisper, pretty soon it'll grow into a voice. This is the way he is. And if you allow that voice, it will grow into a roar. A roar inside your mind, inside your emotions. Your emotions now are enraged. You can't hear. You can't think. You can't see right because you're torn. How do you know that? This is exactly where you're at if you're worried about something. We just think, well, I'm just, I, you know, I'm a worrier. 
No, no, this is why. Because there's a roar going on and it's tearing your emotions. Don't minimize this. Satan is able to devour you. If you refuse to worry, he can't devour you. When, the, when a believer is under the influence of cares, he becomes like a drunken individual. He cannot see, feel, think, or hear right because he's under the influence of a crushing care. This affects and tears his emotions so that he cannot think right. He cannot see right. Once the mind is penetrated, the enemy will flood your mind with lies and mind games. This is exactly how it works. And we don't have to take part in any of it because he's defeated. He has no power, so we got to stop that. And isn't it interesting? To fight the fight of faith, you got to humble yourself and roll, travel light. Satan knows that your imagination was designed to aid your faith. If you can see it, you can believe it. If you believe it, you can receive it. Mark eleven twenty two, Mark eleven twenty three. right? You will have what you say. There is a heart-mouth connection. If we get our mouth speaking out of our heart what God has given us, then our faith is able to bring substance to it. Does that make sense? Satan will try to fill your mind with his lies to produce a wrong image until your mouth speaks in agreement with that wrong image or lie, and that allows Satan to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his method. How do we overcome it? Guys, preparation is 90% of spiritual warfare. What kind of preparation? Mental preparation. You've got to guard your thought life, right? It's so important. You have to make some mental decisions before the storm comes. you got to understand that. Ephesians 6, 13, having done all to stand, stand. Romans 12, 2, we are transformed by the renovation of our minds. Romans 8, 6, to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now for those who are like me and are taking notes and they're like, oh my gosh, he went so fast and I have to have these three scriptures. You just have to listen to the message again. No, I'm just teasing. I won't be like that. The first one is Ephesians 6. You know it, verse 13, 14, right in that area. The second one is Romans 12, 2. And the third one is Romans 8, 6. For those who are a little bit wired like I am and need all those. A person who's not able to be devoured is a person who's taken their thoughts captive. There's some principles here that are so important in the walk of faith. The just shall live by faith and walk by faith. So we walk with the word first place. We reverence, honor, and respect the word of God. Why? Because we look at the word not as a book, but as a person, Jesus. And we walk with him and we meditate. This gets our thought life right. It gets our beliefs right. And it keeps us in this place of rest where we're not trying to figure it out or work it out, we are now letting the Holy Spirit lead us out into the victory that's already ours. Amen?